Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are going to get into a sort of central midfielder review. We're going to talk about Pogba, Bruno, Fred, Scott McTominay, some Donny van de Beek, and we're also later going to get into some of the rumor mill and, of course, where we are with Euro 2020. England and Italy will play the final. Obviously, this has been a long-awaited moment for England. Italy, surprisingly, have never won it since 1968. Obviously, they have the World Cups to show off for, but uh, it's going to be one team winning after a very, very, very long time. Well, one team after a very, very long time and one team that's never won the Euros, as uh, Kasper Schmeichel pointed out. (laughs) (laughs) But Carl, obviously, you're in a very good mood, um, but we can save that for later. How are you feeling about Manchester United's midfield right now? You know, after that Sancho signing, I'm feeling optimistic. It's almost, I don't want to speak too soon, but maybe we've turned a corner in terms of getting our business done early. There's a lot of rumors going around about Kamavinga. Uh, At first, I thought this was just a pipe dream because he's such a talented player. And our recent history is, we tend not to get these talented players. They tend to go elsewhere. You know, you look at Holland, you look at Jude Bellingham, a couple of players who, who slipped through our fingers. But with Kamavinga, I just hope that United put in a decent bid where Renz wants to accept it. He's only got one year left on his contract. So if we put in a decent sum of money, at least that's them getting something versus potentially nothing next year, which is what a lot of other clubs are hoping for. Overall, I do think that we need to increase the depth when it comes to our defensive midfielders. Until that hole has been plugged, I don't think this team is going to go any further than second place in the league. Yeah, I think that's a fair judgment there, Carl. I think you make an important point about youngsters wanting to come to Manchester United. And I think... A lot of that has to do with the fact that this is the first time it feels since the Sir Alex Ferguson days that there's a sense of stability. There is a sense of building on success. That's what happens when you've earned back-to-back Champions League appearances. You think about what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is building at the club. I think you know people recognize that and people say, okay, we can see a method to the madness here as opposed to it just being a bunch of madness for uh, several years. So I think that approach. Yeah. (laughs) So I I think young players uh, who are looking at their careers and saying, Hey, where can I take things to another level for myself and have the right level of team success? Manchester United has put themselves in position to compete with the likes of City or Real Madrid or whoever it may be in that regard. So it's very encouraging to see as far as the center midfield depth goes. Absolutely. You need some help. We can't go into the season with Fred and Scott as the starting defensive midfielders. You would think there has to be an upgrade on at least one of them. And if you get a notable enough upgrade, maybe you don't need two central defensive midfielders. We'll see what happens with Kamavinga. 
for now, why don't we start there? Fred, mm-hmm. looking back on his season, obviously he's going to have a chance to win a trophy in the Copa America final going up against uh, Argentina. But how would you look back on his season where obviously a lot was expected of him and he maybe took a big step compared to what we've expected of him in the past? If I'm looking at Fred right now versus a year ago, I think he's come a long way. It's still not at the level that you want a United midfielder to be. I mean, we've we've been blessed with some fantastic midfielders in the past. But if you if you just, you know, rewind the clock back to when Fred was playing a year ago, we were just happy if he didn't lose the ball in midfield and then the other team scoring a goal. That's yep. where we were at. Now, we're confident okay, he gets the ball. We're wanting him to play the ball forward. That is a big change from what we were expecting in the past. And and he can somewhat live up to maybe, you know, three quarters of his price tag, not not the 50 million that we paid for. But I think he's come a long way. And you know what? I will say this. I've watched a couple of Brazil games in the Copa America. He looks a completely different player playing for Brazil. He actually looks Brazilian with some of the things <laughs> that he's doing. And I've been I've been very impressed with the way he's been playing for them. Now, Vivek, a question for you is, is Fred playing better for Brazil because he has better players around him? I don't know that there are necessarily better players around him in terms of where he's looking for attacking options, right? You think of where he is on the pitch. If he's looking towards the left, usually he's got Luke Shaw, Marcus Rashford for support. In front of him, there's a Pogba, there's a Bruno. So I don't know that that's necessarily a major step up in quality with what he's got in front of him in Brazil. But what I will say is that Brazil as a team are quite a bit above the competition they have in the Copa America. And that's where they can be more assertive, be more dominant on the ball and you know, he can play a bit more freely as well and express himself. Mm-hmm. There's that pressure that comes with playing in the EPL that he knows he's not going to get as much time on the ball. He knows he has to make a quick decision. He knows he has to be a bit more circumspect. And so I think that's where we maybe see the differences. That's a that's a great point, Vivek. I, I think I, I know I, I definitely got sucked into the way Fred was playing, but you always have to look at the opposition and the quality of opposition. When you're playing people like Bolivia and maybe Ecuador and Venezuela compared to, you know, day in, day out playing against the Premier League clubs, even you look at the bottom three clubs, the quality of those teams is significantly, I would say, superior to some of the teams that Fred's probably playing in Copa. And at that level, all it takes is if you have an extra second, an extra two seconds to make that decision, yeah, you're more likely to find that forward pass because you've got a little bit more time to think. And clearly, he's a professional footballer who can pick a pass. I think one thing that I have noticed as well is that it looks like he has a little bit more license to, to, to roam forward in certain instances as opposed to having to stay within a certain area for, for United because... We require the protection for our center backs. Remember, Vivek, Marquinhos is behind Fred, and Marquinhos has got quite a bit of pace, which is a little different from United. So him roaming further up the field doesn't expose the center backs as much. Yep. I think when I look at Fred's season on the whole, 
that stretch where United were pumping the goals in and the productivity was there going forward, if, you know, around that holiday period where United looked at their best, it reduced the need for Fred to do more than what he was doing. And so we were able to look at the interceptions and him pressing up and forcing the issue and forcing teams out of possession and say, okay, brilliant. That's all we need. But when you look at those matches where it's 0-0 and United lack the creativity and the spark, and you need someone to take a bit of pressure off of Bruno, you need someone to take a bit of pressure off of Pogba, or you need the pass to be made that much quicker, that's where you find Fred lacking. And that's where, when you look at big picture, United looking to take that step next season, competing with City, likely having to compete with Liverpool again with Virgil van Dijk being back. Chelsea obviously will be in the mix as well because they've looked excellent under Tuchel. I think that's where you look at the midfield and say, hey, we can do better here. Say, for example, let me ask you this. If United were to seek an upgrade and still stick with the 4-2-3-1, who is your preferred, if you have to pick one of two to still play the position, is it Fred or Scott for you? Scott. Why? The reason I pick Scott, first of all, from a physical perspective, He's about 6'4", I think, uh, physical <laughs> presence, versus Fred, who's probably about like 5'7 or 5'8". So he adds that attacking intent in the box from corners. Uh, he can also defend corners better. You look at Scott's engine, especially when you looked at that Villarreal final. Man, Scott was running all over the place. Even in extra time, it looked like it was the 20th minute for him. So that fitness was fantastic. I also think... Scott's leadership capabilities, it is what drives the team forward. And sometimes you need someone to just grab the game by the scruff of the neck and move the game forward. And I think Scott has the capability to do all of those things. I think Fred, you know what? He is a great player. Uh, He's a good player. And he's just missing out on that leadership and that physical presence. So that, that for me is the difference of why I would pick Scott. Fair enough. I actually think it's close enough to where who United would acquire matters a whole lot. So say, for example, if United were to go get a Declan Rice, I actually would prefer a Fred next to him. Because from what I've seen of Declan Rice, I think someone like Fred, who again will have the license on this United team, I would think, to force the issue a bit, go for those interceptions, trap a bit more i think that would suit declan rice's style a bit better but say for example you go get kamavinga who might want to be a bit more box to box and you know be a bit more aggressive himself i think that's where a scott would fit better so i i think it's close enough to where it really matters who you go out and get but i think we can both agree that you absolutely have to go and get someone Absolutely. So Vivek, if I were to ask you, if you're comparing Scott and Fred, what would you say Fred has that Scott doesn't have? I think he has better anticipation because I think 
those games where United do press higher up the pitch, I think Fred is really good at winning, helping United win the ball back. I think we've seen that several times where in the opposition half, Fred has really been able to come through and create opportunities for United. So I think that's something he has over Scott. I definitely agree that the size issue, especially in the Premier League, is a big factor to consider. And that's where Scott has the edge with his physicality. Um, So yeah, in terms of what he truly has above him, I I think it is just that, the ability to intercept and get United back in possession quicker. There's maybe a couple of things in terms of ball distribution, for example, I'd say that's fairly even. I, I don't think Scott has necessarily done enough. I think he shows flashes. Like he definitely has the ability to hit the long ball better, but he doesn't do it often enough. I think he plays it safe far too often where I, I don't think I could say I would separate the two. And then obviously, yeah, then we get into the size and whatnot. And Scott definitely has the edge there. I will add one more advantage for Fred. No one watches Bruno take a free kick better than Fred. <laughs> yes. Fred is, always has the best seat in the house. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> now let's maybe get a little bit more in depth on Scott. Because... Here's a player who, coming up at, in the youth system, was actually a striker. And that's something that people talk about whenever he does score goals. But we see that it's it's something that almost has to be dragged out of him for some reason. And maybe part of that is the fact that that's just how Ole wants him to play. But we've had little flashes, I think, you know, the Leeds United example is probably the biggest one that comes to mind where he clearly had the license to go forward and he bangs in a couple of goals early and you're thinking, hey, where is this intent all the time? So is that something you think that can be freed up more with an upgrade uh, with who's next to him? Or do you think he's maybe sort of put that to the wayside? You think about with Scotland as well, him having that defensive role where he just has that defensive mindset now? It's a good question, Vivek. So first of all, I think what's going to really affect that is not so much who's playing next to him, but who's playing behind him. (laughs) If he has a center back that's capable of holding their own in a one-on-one battle against someone who's pacey, Scott automatically will get that license to go forward more. But what you mentioned about Scotland and United, I think his defensive capabilities outweighs his offensive capabilities. And so for that reason, I always think that he's probably going to be the defensive midfielder out of the two whenever he's playing. Here's a question for you. Say in two or three years from now, United have a sent. I mean, we hope it happens sooner. But say in a couple of years from now, United have a very established defensive midfielder and only need the one man in that hole. Can you see a better long-term future for Scott McTominay as a central midfielder or as a central defender? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think he, I, I see a better future for him as a central defender if it's a back three interesting that's how i would put it because as a as a as a back three 
Scott will have a little bit of license to move forward just a little bit if he needs to because he's got two other center backs. He won't be able to do that if it's a back two. So that, that's my caveat. Yeah, I think uh, I'm with you, actually. I do think his you know, highest ceiling long-term may actually be as a central defender. I think he could potentially be in that Harry Maguire type role if it's in a back four where he can be that leader, uh, the one who's handling the aerial threats, but maybe needs that pacey defender alongside him to deal with the 1v1 situations better. We talked about Fred's Copa. What did you make of Scott's Euro performance? I thought Scott showed all the attributes that he shows for United. His grit, his determination, even his leadership qualities. It didn't look like the pressure got to him playing for his nation at all. He didn't make any mistakes. I mean, there's that iconic photo of him holding off about three English players while the ball was (laughs) on the ground. He was on the ground and he wasn't letting anybody get to the ball, including his own goalkeeper. (laughs) All right. Speaking of futures in central midfield you know attack midfield where will they fit the club long term it might be the perfect time to talk about Donny van de Beek obviously not the first season at the club that he wanted we saw him struggle to find a fit whether it was on the left side of the midfield whether it was centrally and then we saw towards the end of the season him get a bit of a go in that CDM role as well where do you see him fitting in at this club? So, so Vivek, you know what? When he was playing for Ajax and he was so successful, Ajax played a 4-2-3-1 formation. And in that team, yeah, you had the back four. You had Donny van der Beek next to Martinez. And then in front of them, you had Promise, Hakim Ziyech, David Neres. And then up front was... Uh, Dusan Tadic, who used to play for Southampton. And he flourished in that system. It's the exact same system as United. However, the difference is, I think the Ajax philosophy was, hey, never leave another player more than 10 yards apart. So he always had players around him. And Donny van der Beek's strength is playing with his head up. And he can play those quick, you know, bang, bang, bang triangles, so to speak. And I think with United, the spacing is a little bit more. So those triangles are a little harder to play. And I also think the physicality of Donnie trying to play a pass while off balance, he was finding it hard to do. And so what ended up happening was he always ended up playing the safe pass because he wasn't able to quite get his feet under him. Now, what I'm really hoping in this offseason is he hits the gym hard and he doesn't have to bulk up or, you know, put on 10, 20 pounds. What he has to do is he has to strengthen the right type of muscles to be able to play those passes when he's off balance. You look at Messi, he's not a very big guy, but you look at his legs, they're absolute tree trunks. And I think Donny van der Beek needs to do a little bit of that. And I do think he can have a better season this year. The fact that we need a center midfielder, I, I don't think Donny van der Beek can play in that position personally. I think he needs to play in a position with a little less defensive responsibility. So if Donny was smart, he would have wanted to play on the right-hand side because we've got a lack of depth there. Yeah, Carl, 
I think you've made a lot of good points there. I think the biggest point you've made is when you reference the fact that Ajax likes to keep everyone close to the ball and close in possession. But the difference with United is the level of directness that they play with. And so if you've got someone like Rashford on one side, if you've got someone like Sancho on the other side or a Greenwood or a Cavani who can get out and find an angle to break free virtually every minute of the match, the eyes up, the head up can't just be for what's happening 10, 15 yards around you. It's got to be for 30, 40 yards beyond you. And Mm -hmm. that's where I think the fit struggles to happen because we very, very rarely see those long balls played by him. And as a midfielder in playing in England, you have to have that in your bag. I also think the pressure got to him. Ironic because there's no crowd. So if there's ever a time (laughs) for, you know, people not to be on his back, it was the season that he just played for United. But I, 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 I hope Ole can do this. And I know he can because he's done this with Luke Shaw where he's almost given Luke Shaw the license. Hey, go out there and express yourself. Show them what you're capable of. And Luke Shaw took that to heart. Donny van der Beek needs to do the same thing because I guarantee you that if he's able to express himself and play freely, it's okay if you misplace passes, just like Bruno does. However, if you're able to pick that one pass to unlock the defense, that's all that matters. And I think you'll see a change. All he needs is just a couple of assists, not even goals, just assists. And you'll see a completely different player in Donny van der Beek. I really believe he needs a second chance. I think he will get one. Ole has shown that before. And who knows? We could have a good problem on our hands if uh, if Paul Pogba leaves. Yeah, hey, he could be a Luke Shaw. He could be an Anthony Marshall. We'll, we'll have to see how it plays out this season. You mentioned the big man, Paul Pogba. So I think that's a perfect time to transition to talking about him. A potential exit. You look at bringing Sancho to the club. You look at potentially bringing Kamavinga I would like to think that would be enough to keep him around for at least one more season. And then if some magic happens, that might be enough to convince him to stay beyond that. How would you look at his season on the whole? You know, it's easy to get sucked in by the second half of a season. But I think if you're looking at the season as a whole, I would say that it is a microcosm of his United career. He's had brilliance. And then he's had disastrous moments. The way the season played out, the first half of the season was his disastrous moment. The second half of the season was his brilliant moments. And so what Paul Pogba needs to do, and everybody's been saying this, this is nothing new. He has to find that consistency in his game. And I think, you know what, if you, what all, all we're looking for is that when you're not having your good games, don't have a bad game. Have an okay game. So that when you have your good games, everybody takes notice. The problem is he has these brilliant games, but then he has really bad games where he does something daft. And the English media need no second invitation to absolutely crucify him. So Paul Pogba, you can see what's going on at United. I've already read reports that the Sancho signing has definitely piqued his interest in wanting to sign a new contract. Now, Paul... Please don't go and ask for too much in salary because you know that's probably not going to happen. 
we already know that your agent Raiola is up to his old tricks starting this PSG rumors. So you might want to nip that in the bud quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, Paul Pogba, we we saw the good and the bad, and I'm relieved that we didn't see the ugly. Because I think we were at that tipping point with the Rayola situation. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly where things could have gone really, really south. If he doesn't come out and sort of separate himself from that, if he doesn't put out that Instagram post, I would not have been surprised if that was the last we saw of Pogba. Mm-hmm. So I do credit him for being at that point, that breaking point where things could have gone one way or the other. And he was able to send it in a positive direction for both himself and the club. And what he did after that, I think that is what United need to build on. That positive momentum. If you're Solskjaer, you're absolutely reminding him of what happened before that and saying, hey, to this point, we have not seen you do it for 38 matches in the Premier League plus the Champions League. Let's see that. I I would challenge him on that. You have everything available to you now. You have Bruno's leadership. You have Jadon Sancho for help on the right. You have Marcus Rashford who's continuing to grow on the left. You have a real number nine in Edinson Cavani. There's a lot of positive things going on at this club where if you fall short, you know where the media is going to point. And you've proven when you play your A game, you are the best player on the pitch. Mm -hmm. All due respect to Bruno. When Pogba has his A game, he is the match winner. He is the difference maker. I think having gone through the entire cycle with Pogba, you mentioned the word consistency quite a bit. I think that's the biggest thing that we have to see now with Pogba. No, you know, highs one day, lows the next. It's just got to be straight through, consistent. You have a good day. The next day is, isn't bad, as you said. Yeah, let's let's not forget. You, you know how it works in the NBA when there's a player in his contract year, suddenly that performance increases by quite a bit because you, you <laughs> want to get that extra zero added to your salary, right? So Paul Pogba, you best believe if there's no contract signed, He's going to show everybody what he's capable of and he's going to show United why they should be paying him that salary. So this is a good problem because we're probably going to see the best of him, in my opinion. Absolutely. Hopefully, you know, when Man United go 3-1 in a game, he doesn't do five celebrations and then live to regret it. But Just just don't give the ball away in the 90th minute, eh? (laughs) (laughs) But... You know, someone we've come to enjoy celebrating his goals, his penalties, his leadership, all the intangibles that he brings to the club. Bruno Fernandez, obviously right there with Pogba in terms of who can be the most influential match to match. But he is the one where you look at and say, Hey, even if he's having a bad day at the office, he is still giving the club every ounce he has 
He is still barking out instructions, orders, demands to players. He's still demanding the best out of everyone. That leadership never drops below a certain level. And I think that is what has single-handedly created all this positive momentum for United. Man, I can't wait for the crowd to serenade him when he's when when they're all back cuz we haven't heard any Bruno songs yet cuz we haven't had a chance to make up some <laughs> songs for him. So, I'm looking forward to that and, and I think Bruno's the type of player that will enjoy that as well. Uh he did have a bit of a dip towards the end of last season in form, but it's it's really hard to maintain that level, that quality over whatever it was, 18 months since he's played for United. So, Vivek, what would you be looking for from improvements for Bruno? I think the number one thing I would say is he doesn't need to put it all on his shoulders anymore. And I think we saw certain stretches, especially when United were struggling to score those goals, where you'd see him you know, take two, three shots from 40 yards out. You'd see him try a miracle chip or you know a 30 40 yard ball that wasn't quite there and almost forced the issue a bit and i feel like this season with the resources available he doesn't need to feel that pressure and so he doesn't need to you know he has more of a margin of error to work with and so i hope he recognizes that and i hope he plays accordingly obviously that's part of being a creative genius that's part of creating those chances is to sort of push the line and constantly be at it. But I think there's still a better balance that he can strike. And then the other thing I would say is, I don't know if he has it in his game, but there's a few occasions where I feel he has space to bring the ball forward, to carry it forward. But his head is up trying to look for that long ball. And I'm saying, Hey, just carry it forward, attract a defender, and then just make the simple pass and keep possession. Just those little things I would like to see. And then I, I guess the last thing I should mention is, you know, the big games so far that we've seen, he's only had that one moment, right, where he came on, he takes the free kick against Liverpool uh, in the cup and gives United a victory. That's mm-hmm. really the only moment that he's had so far in the big matches. And so you look at those opportunities that United have had whether it was those final two games against PSG and Leipzig to get through he wasn't really there it was Pogba who came on against Leipzig and sort of inspired the comeback that almost was and you look at other matches where United have fallen short there have been those those times where he's been a bit too anonymous yeah I think that's a good point Vivek I think Bruno definitely he knows how to do it. We just need him to do a little bit more in the big games, especially against the big six. And I think with the presence of Jaden Sancho on the right-hand side, and if Pogba is also playing, he's going to get a little bit more space than he's used to. And so it just adds another dimension, another way for us to attack. And I think that's only going to help Bruno. So I'm really looking forward to this season. Anything else you want to touch on with Bruno? Any Anything that you learned uh, about him? in in the euros or do you think that was more just a bad fit i i think it was just more of a bad fit we we all know what bruno's capable of 
Yeah, he had maybe one or two off nights, but once he was coming off the bench, you could clearly see that the level of play increased, the quality increased. And I think that the Portuguese coach was just a little too defensive-minded, so I'm not going to put too much into his performances for, for Portugal. Yeah, we are in agreement there. I think we can preview this uh, Euro 2020 final now. Italy, England. You mentioned that Italy should be in the running to be in, in the final when we previewed mm-hmm. uh, the tournament. I looked at Denmark and thought they could be a dark horse. Obviously, they fall short in the semis. You're a big England fan. So tell me how surprised you are that they are here in this moment, in the final, the you know, first time in the final of a major tournament since 66. You know, Vivek, I think if you look at the way some of the past demons that England have faced, I mean, penalties is one of them. The other demon has been Germany. And I think once they beat Germany, they had this level of belief that they can go in and do other things. Now, it did help that with the draw, they played Ukraine, who, let's be honest, when you're looking at all the quarterfinals, that was probably one of the easier ones. No disrespect to Ukraine. And then they played against a very good Danish side. Just because they're Denmark, don't take them for granted. They deserve to be in that semifinal. They outplayed a lot of their opponents. And that Finland game was an asterisk game. Them having to play that game when they had to play it, let's let's not even talk about that. Yep. So when they played Denmark today, I will say that I was expecting England to be better than Denmark. But for the first 60 minutes, it was a very even contest. Denmark's starting lineup nullified England's starting lineup. Yes, England had more chances. They had more possession. But they didn't break through more than once. And so you look at Italy. I do believe Italy is a step up over Denmark. And so England's going to have to have their A game uh, when it comes to the finals. To answer your question, Vivek, I am a little surprised that England made it to the final. But after they beat Germany, I'm less surprised. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think when you looked at the tournament bracket and the fact that them finishing first in the group would have meant them facing second from Group F, which would have been one of France, Germany, Portugal. A lot of people thought, okay, that's doomsday. Yeah. Whether Whichever one of the three it ends up being. Including myself. So I think for them to get over the hump of that Germany game, and I think for sure whatever happens from here, we'll look back at that Muller miss as a major turning point because you talk about mentality and belief. If you watch the replay of the Muller miss, there's an angle from where you can see Raheem Sterling because he had given the ball away. And he is about to have his head in his hands as Muller is one-on-one. And then when he sees the ball go wide, he literally drops to the floor. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, showed the weight of expectation and the pressure that they feel. And it was almost like a massive release. That, like, thank God this did not cost me. 
just imagine the headlines. England go 1-0 up. Sterling's having this great tournament. And now he has the error that leads to the Germany goal. And then we know how momentum changes in a match with a, with a goal. And Germany would have definitely had their tails up after that. The one thing I will say, obviously, this Denmark match, watching this Denmark side, obviously, because I picked them as, as dark horses, I was rooting for them. And so to see the penalty given, I thought was really, really unfortunate. The way they've bounced back since the Christian Eriksen cardiac arrest. It deserves so much attention and respect. And I'm very excited for their future. You look at a player like Damsgaard, the free kick that he scored, Mm -hmm. the goal that he scored uh, against Russia to sort of set them off. Because let's face it, they were facing an exit. They lost to Finland. They lost to Belgium despite playing well. If they didn't come out in that match and bury Russia, they would not be where they got to. And so... I think they have a bright future. I will definitely be excited to see what they do at the World Cup next year. And yeah, it, I, I thought it was a shame that it ended the way it did. England were the better team on the day. But as we saw in the Spain-Italy match, it, the team that plays the better football on the day doesn't necessarily go on to win the match. Absolutely. Vivek, who's your pick for the final? You know, I think I'm going to go with Italy. I I do think that they have, on the whole, been the better team. And I think that, overall, the threat that they present on an attacking front is probably at a level that England haven't seen yet in this tournament. I thought Denmark did some positive things going forward within those first 60 minutes, as you mentioned, when it was a very even game. And I don't know that England can play the way that Spain did. That heavy possession style. Um, I mean, we saw them do it quite effectively for the last two, three minutes to kill the game against Denmark. But I think in terms of them wanting to get in between the lines, you look at the way Sterling operates, we'll see if, uh, Saka starts that match but I think that style will keep it a bit more open and I think that's where we've seen Italy play some of their best football as well mm-hmm. the only thing I will say is I don't know if Italy has faced an attacking team like England either with that much pace I mean the the closest I would say is Belgium when they played them however I think England have got that pace down both wings that I don't think Belgium necessarily had. And I think how they deal with that is going to be key to how they do. So I'm really looking forward to it. You know, Italy's presence in the midfield is fantastic. They've got some brilliant players in there. And if you're looking at the midfield of Italy versus England, let's say Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips versus whoever Italy have, I mean, just Marco Verratti alone is probably, you know, the superstar in all those names that I just mentioned. So I think whoever wins that midfield battle is going to win the game. Yeah, hopefully it's a great final. There's two great finals to look forward to Brazil, Argentina in the Copa. And then you'll have England versus Italy in the Euros. We might see 
a Canadian in the Wimbledon final. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Chapo going up against Djokovic. It's going to be interesting. And obviously on the other side, one player is going to have a huge opportunity between Berrettini and Hercox. But it's a big sports day. That, that much we know. And don't forget, there's also a night event with Conor McGregor fighting as well. So there's lots to look forward to this weekend, Vivek. <laughs> yes, be sure to catch out all that action. We will be back to wrap up the Euro final. We have to still talk about the defenders. So we will get into that on the next episode. For now, a reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.